0: I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. Today, I've got two dimensions in ambience, Sus and Robert Rich. Sus is the ambient country band, or maybe ambient Americana band. We talk about that distinction and their music that takes off from Brian Eno's Apollo and lands into a high plains ambient landscape of their own with a bit of Nashville twang. We'll go from Sus with their pedal steel guitar to Robin Rich with his lap steel. Robert Rich is the ninth icon of Echoes. We look back across the incredible 40-year career of this musician who has gone from sleep concerts and soundscapes to techno-tribal fantasies and sonic manipulations. He uses his high-tech synthesizers and computers, but also makes his own flutes and percussion instruments for the most organic sound in electronic music. Before we get to that, do you have the Echoes app? If you did, you could be listening to this podcast right there, as well as live concert streams from Echoes artists. And if you subscribe to Echoes online, you can get all 10 hours of Echoes radio broadcasts on demand, as well as narration-free streams. Get the music you want, when you want it, with the Echoes app. Go to echoes.org or your usual app stores to get it now. Let's put on our country boots and step out the door into ambient space with SUS. Twenty-five years ago, I dubbed the meeting of country twang and spacey atmospheres, Ambient Americana. It was inspired by albums like Lanterna's Sands, Bruce Caplan's Slider, and B.J. Cole's Transparent Music. The godfather of that sound is Rye Cooter, with his score to the 1984 Vim Wenders film Paris, Texas. Sus is continuing that tradition with more of a psychedelic edge. But it turns out they may not be comfortable with the Americana part of this equation. They prefer ambient country. I just
1: like the way it sounds better. <laughs> I don't know. Before we even knew that there might be a thing called ambient Americana or boot gazing or psychedelic Western, we just started calling it ambient country and it just felt right. And you were actually one of the first people that introduced us to the term ambient Americana because we hadn't heard that before. And to me, Americana means something distinctly different than country. Americana, I'm not sure that embraces the... Inner Glenn Campbell, that's inside of me.
0: It's knowing that your door is always open and your path is free to walk. That's Bob Holmes, guitarist with Sus. In our Zoom interview, he started a conversation that made me start rethinking the ambient Americana term that I created. And he was joined by electronic artist Gary Lee.
2: Lee. I always thought of Americana as being more a reference to uh, folk and blues, whereas country. It involves a lot of uh, commercial music. This is kind of what I think Bob is talking about. It's like uh, the hits, the country music that, that bled through to people who were not country music devotees. Uh, I didn't know anything about country music growing up, but uh, I heard Glenn Campbell on the radio, and, you know, so that's, that's my point of reference.
0: Jonathan Gregg plays the instrument with the most distinctive country roots, and he weighs in with his learned opinion.
3: The term Americana was really overused, and it was such a spineless kind of coverall word for everything that wasn't actual rock and I think that the vocabulary we draw from is more country than folk or or whatever sort of weird hybrids uh, America might imply.
0: Wow, you guys got me now rethinking that. I mean, first of all, I created that term ambient Americana, so now you got me rethinking (laughs) whether it's appropriate for a lot of this music. Bob Holmes had two things in mind when Sus was created besides the aforementioned Glenn Campbell. A flash came
1: where I wanted to hear what it sounded like if Brian Eno were to produce Enio
0: Morricone. Guitarist Pat Irwin.
3: To me, the thread through all of this is ambient and ambient music. We came of age hearing records by Brian Eno and Faust, Frippin' Eno, No Pussyfooting, was hugely influential. I think just the fact that we pull those organic types of instruments into an ambient setting keeps me in the game.
1: Believe me, when Lanois and Eno were making Apollo, they were not thinking Americana. They were thinking totally country. I mean, they were listening to the music that the astronauts were listening to in the spaceship. They were thinking of it in the broader terms of what the middle of America listens to. And to them, that was country.
0: Sus released their first album, Ghostbox, in 2018, followed by Highline in 2019, and now their latest recording, Promise. Their name, Sus, has that Western movie kind of sound to it, Bob Holmes. Uh, It's a four-letter word
1: three of the letters being s and it's it's a singular word and a sus means as you said suss it out and it also it's english slang for being suspect so it's got like a positive side to it and a negative side to it and suspense sustained chords all of our favorite words begin you know start with s-u-s and why not why not go for it
0: All the band was born in 1955 and several met at the Rhode Island School of Design. They've all had varied careers. Bob Holmes and Gary Lee were members of the 80s band Rubber Rodeo.
1: And we created a band called Rubber Rodeo that uh, people described as cowpunk or country punk.
0: Leib also is a cartoonist whose work has appeared in The New Yorker and New York Times. Pat Oren took his college music degree and became a punk rocker. Founding 8-Eyed Spy and The who were produced by Philip Glass. Erwin was in the B-52s for nearly 20 years as well, and he has scored film and TV shows including Spongebob Squarepants.
3: The first time I ever talked to Steve Hillenburg, the creator of Spongebob, he said he wanted the music to sound like a bunch of guys in a room that couldn't really play, and it took me a while to wrap my mind around that.
0: Some of that is a long way from sus but it's woven through their dna pedal steel guitarist jonathan gregg has the deepest country roots but he was already experimenting when he joined sus
3: what i was trying to find was something outside of the expected format for pedal steel you know playing songs that you wouldn't really normally expect you know, to hear uh, done that way, like, you know, Fairy Cross the Mercy or Paul Simon's America and songs like that, really good, enriched pop songs. And it turned out to be really fun and added a whole other a take on that music.
0: He brought that sound to Sus. 2020 album by Sus, Promise was born in pandemic.
3: I think it had a re- really nice range of uh, the sentiments that are called for during the pandemic. The extremes I would point to would be something like Nightlight, which I think is the probably the brightest and the most like gently optimistic sound we've ever made. something like No Man's Land, which is easily the darkest and scariest, and it was in fact the last song we did for the record, uh, or at least the last song that I tracked, and and I was uh, already here in Connecticut uh, remotely, it was the only track on the record that I actually recorded from here and not in the studio with those guys, and I can't imagine that song coming out of a a non-pandemic sort of vibe, because that is a very dark and and scary song And, and I think that they're both necessary you know the sweetness and the darkness are that's all we got right now
0: The sound of sus bleeds into another project Bob Holmes is involved with called New Moon, spelled N-U-M-U with an umlaut and N. It's a trio with Joel Mellon and Christopher Romero. Their 2020 debut album, Voyage au Soleil, was an homage to the first Apollo moon landing. Bob Holmes.
1: Though the two bands get tied together because I'm in both bands, it's it's really... um, Joel, it it really was started as his project. It started with one song for a compilation album. Uh, I was over at his house one day and was just playing some guitar on top of a a piece of found audio from the 1969 um, Moonshot. And he decided that that was a good place to start for making a record. And that's what became the song Voyage au Soleil. And then we just had so much fun doing it. We recorded about six or seven other songs. And then all of a sudden, there was an album. and uh, But the, the musical intent is completely different. In that band, it's three of us. We make it in a completely different way. The, the songs sometimes get lumped together, and of course I'll let people do that, but in my ears, it's the music sounds completely different to me. I think uh, New Moon is much more psychedelic, uh, much more traditional in its own way towards the history of what uh, psychedelic trance music is than what sus is.
0: the sus sound is marked by guitar and pedal steel twang, the underlying sound of New Moon is Balinese.
1: Joel and uh, Chris are very, very accomplished gamelan players, uh, and they play a number of instruments. They're composers of their own right, and and Joel is an accomplished uh, composer of uh, new gamelan music, but they were very happy to explore how to use those same sort of instruments in a way to create music that was indicative of the the psychedelic period of 1969, while still trying to capture this trance, ambient feel that just comes naturally to me.
0: Some might harken back to Pink Floyd.
1: We were all born in 1955. That means when Dark Side of the Moon came out, you could not avoid whatever that is. We have friends that say, man, this music sounds so 70s to me. And i was like, really? All right, whatever,
0: That Pink Floyd influence is definitely in sus as well. Gary Lee.
2: Oh yeah, big time. Some of the songs on Promise came from a more experimental place. In my case in particular, the kinds of instruments that I can use on an iPad that involve looping and altering loops over time and actually improvising with loops while the band plays around me has just uh, been a game changer. I can do the things that... uh, say that I admired on Pink Floyd records and 70s Eno's records, where he put performances through different stages of echo and delay and all these chains that he could make in a studio. You could do it all in the box now and actually execute it like a performance.
1: The live show definitely has a bit more of a psychedelic feel and, uh, you know, dark side of the moonshine kind of thing.
0: darkness of pandemic, not to mention American politics of 2020, shrouded the making of Suss's promise. He ultimately arrived at something that was a little gentler. Bob Holmes. Gary listened to
1: this and came up with the idea of it being pastoral or pastoral psychedelicism. So you'll have to ask him what that means because I'm not exactly sure, but we sure like the way it
0: sounds. Gary Lieb didn't give an explanation, but you can make your own. Promise by Sus is out on Northern Spy Records and New Moon's Voyage au Soleil is out on Musique Impossible Records. I'll have a link for the new Sus album, Promise, in the posting for this podcast. I'll also have a link to the live set they performed on Echoes in 2019. And now, another icon of Echoes as we count up the 30 that you chose for our first 30 years. This is the ninth icon of Echoes, Robert Rich. Robert Rich was one of the first musicians we interviewed on Echoes as well as one of our early live performances. He appears on our first concert CD, A Door in the Air. He's been an icon of Echoes since we first started in 1989 and three decades later he remains as the ninth icon of Echoes. Robert Rich creates one of the most meticulous and organic electronic sounds around. His music can have the repose of a zen garden and the surreal hyperbolic movement of a Gaudi cathedral. In fact, he has an album called Gaudi. In 2009, we profiled Robert Rich as one of 20 icons of Echoes. Although he's released great music and evolved since then, I think it still encapsulates his essence. Kimberly Haas brings us Robert Rich, the ninth icon of Echoes.
4: Visiting Robert Rich's studio over the last quarter century, you never knew what was going to be capturing the enthusiasm of this composer. In 1989, when his Rainforest album came out, he was thrilled by an instrument he'd invented called a mallet kalimba. Well, you make mallets out of
5: ping-pong balls that are very, very light, and, uh, and the lightness of the mallet acts almost like the fingernail on a kalimba. And the sound is much lower than a kalimba because these bars are
4: about a foot long, um, but it still has that really nice pingy sort of sound. In the early 1990s, had begun making his own ceramic flutes. Yeah, I've been noodling around with ceramics. It's a lot of fun. This is the one that uh, I played uh, on air on Gaudi. In 2001, Rich was waxing enthusiastically over his new modular MOTM synthesizer. What I'm doing
5: is I'm pushing analog electronics into a realm which digital electronics can't really go and creating these very organic, very complex, chaotic sounds. (laughs)
4: But Rich could get just as excited talking about making wine or planting a garden outside his Silicon Valley home.
5: This is uh, a Japanese garden that uh, I did a few uh, years ago. Well, to me, a garden should look like it, you found it there. You know, It should look like you're in the mountains somewhere.
4: It might seem like Robert Rich flits from one enthusiasm to another, but whether it's a new musical instrument, his herb garden, or a philosophical construct, it's all incorporated into one of the most organic, holistic sounds in electronic music. Inspired by German space music, minimalist composer Terry Riley, and sound sculptors like Enea Lockwood, Robert Rich began recording his music in the early 1980s when he would give sleep concerts. These were all-night performances where audience members would bring sleeping bags and curl up to Robert Rich's drifting music. Well, I had
5: been creating textures for myself uh, that would go on for days, you know, setting up the modular synthesizers so they would just create sound and alter themselves over time. And I was fascinated by the idea of well what Pauline Oliveros calls deep listening, this long form music that was very deep and slow and didn't have any tension release, but was just a surround psychoactive space essentially. And I wanted to find ways of performing this live in a kind of setting that would inspire sort of a ritual atmosphere and figured that To encourage people to bring a sleeping bag would allow people to listen in a way that maybe they weren't expecting to.
4: After albums like Trances and Drones, Rich's music became more melodic and rhythmic. In 1989, he recorded Rainforest. It revealed his electroacoustic aesthetic and the multifaceted connections he makes in his music, like the Balinese counterpoint of the forest dreams of Bach.
5: I I wanted to incorporate the sort of completeness and balance that a Bach fugue has with the completeness and balance that an Indonesian uh, gamelan piece would have. I, I felt that there was an interesting similarity between Baroque counterpoint and Javanese gamelan. And I just wanted to try to do something that that showed that there was a universal uh, commonality in musical structure.
4: One of the otherworldly elements of Robert Rich's music is just intonation. It's a system of tuning that differs from the usual do re mi of equal temperament. Proponents think it sounds more natural. Just intonation is usually the domain of academics and the avant garde, but Rich approaches it emotionally. It
5: has this, this essence of yearning, this essence of intense kind of. It creates shivers down my
4: spine to, to hear these pure harmonic intervals. That's one reason Rich uses the lap steel guitar, which allows him to get in between the notes. He picked it up from his father. He plays pedal steel. He can do country
5: and western, which I can't. (laughs) Country and western twang, you know.
4: Rich didn't want that country and western twang. He was looking for another sound. In his studio, he strokes the strings of the lap steel with a metal bar. This sound can be heard all over Robert Rich's music, and it's a focal point of his live performances. There's some bit of irony that Robert Rich, who is considered one of the most innovative of electronic artists, actually generates a lot of his music through acoustic
5: instruments. It was always an interesting challenge to me to make the two blend together, and I find that the acoustic instruments often sound spacier and more intense and darker than the electronic instruments ever can. There's more more magic to them, in a way. And especially when you then process the acoustic sound with electronics, it
4: creates a completely different world. In 2003, he even released an all-acoustic album, Temple of the Invisible. Whether manipulating acoustic sounds or twisting electronic knobs, Robert Rich draws his compositions with the sweep of an airbrush dipped in the textures of the earth. For him, it's all about creating virtual, immersive states of consciousness.
5: that's really what this music is about. It's about creating a place, creating a world in your mind.
0: bringing us Robert Rich, the ninth icon of Echoes. Robert Rich has morphed the global soundscape, mixing technology and traditional instruments, acoustic playing and studio manipulation. He weaves a deep, organic and seductive sound. It's been a major part of Echoes for 30 years and it's why Robert Rich is one of the 30 icons of Echoes. I've got a list of 10 essential Robert Rich albums on the Echoes website and in the Echoes app. Just scroll down to the reviews and commentary section. I'll also have a link for it in the posting for this podcast. Next week on the Echoes podcast, the psychedelic ambiences of Desensitized with Deborah Martin and Dean De Benedictus of Surface 10. And we'll hear from the 10th icon of Echoes, Enya. I'm John DiLibretto. This has been the Echoes Podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight on the radio, somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online, right now, or whenever you want.